Apologetics for Beginners. Stick around. Let's talk about it. Houston, we have a problem. Habemos papam. Podcasting from a parking lot in the Woodlands, Texas, it's the Catholic Hack with Joe McLean. Take this, all of you, and eat it. This is my body, which will be given up for you. 1 Peter 3.15 Always be ready to give an explanation to anyone who asks you for a reason for your hope. Take this, all of you, and drink from it. This is the cup of my blood, the blood of the new and everlasting covenant. It will be shed for you and for all, so that sins may be forgiven. The Church of the Living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. 1 Timothy 3.15 Do this in memory of This week's Mass is the Hour of Jesus. Are you ready for that hour? In this Sunday's Mass, He promises to pour out His Spirit, and then He fulfills His promise in that hour. Are you and I truly ready for such a gift, especially in this season of Lent? Find out more next on Breaking the Bread. The Israelites' hearts were hardened by their hardships in the desert. Though they saw God's mighty deeds, in their thirst they grumble and put him to the test. It was a crisis point, recorded in our first reading and recalled again in our responsorial psalm. Like Israel, Jesus too is thirsty in today's gospel, but he thirsts for souls. He longs to give the Samaritan woman the living water that wells up to eternal life. Such water couldn't be drawn from the well of Jacob, father of the Israelites and the Samaritans. But Jesus was something much greater than Jacob. The Samaritans were Israelites who escaped exile when Assyria conquered the northern kingdom eight centuries before Jesus. They were despised for intermarrying with non-Israelites and worshiping at Mount Gerizim, not Jerusalem. But Jesus tells the woman that the hour of true worship is coming, when all will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, not at Gerizim or Jerusalem. Jesus' hour is the appointed time that St. Paul speaks of in this week's epistle. It is the hour when the rock of our salvation was struck on the cross. 
Struck by the soldier's lance, living waters flowed out from our rock. These waters are the Holy Spirit, of course, the gift of God. By the living waters, the ancient enmities of Samaritans versus Jews have been washed away. The dividing wall between Israel and Gentiles is broken down. Since that hour, all may drink of the Spirit in baptism. And in this Eucharist, the Lord is now in our midst as he was at the rock of Horeb and at the well of Jacob. In the today of our liturgy, he calls us to believe, I am he. He has come to pour the love of God into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. How can we continue to worship as if we don't understand? How can our hearts remain hardened? For we are children of the Most High God. This is Scott Hahn for Breaking the Bread. Breaking the Bread is a production of the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. If you'd like to receive written copies of Dr. Hahn's reflections on the Sunday Mass readings, you can contact us by email at staff at salvationhistory.com or call us at 740-264-9535. That's 740-264-9535. I always love this particular episode of The Woman at the Well in the Gospel. It's so much information there that's just packed and we can't even see it with our 21st century American eyes. We have to look at this as 1st century Jews. The five husbands, the concubines of the woman, those were like the five Baals, which means concubine, of all of the Samaritan people. And the Assyrians came in and destroyed the, the northern Israelite you know, kingdom and took, it, took its people away and brought in five Baals, five rulers, to be their concubines and set up the molten calf to, to once again you know, have these idols in their presence. And, and they fell away from the one true God and they started to, to worship these, these false idols. And there was Jesus at a well with a woman. This is craziness because all you know, first century Jews would have seen the symbology here. What happens at a well when it's just a man and a woman? Well, you're looking for your spouse, your concubine. Just like Rebecca was brought in for Isaac, you know, so we have all this fantastic information that's right there. And Jesus is, t- is bringing her back, is bringing all of the Samaritans back into the, the family of God here. He's embracing them at their heart, undoing what was done back there when, when Solomon you know, when he died and his son took over, you know, and his son started civil war, you know, he was undoing all of this and uniting the family of, of God once again. So I highly encourage you to dig into this, this week's reading and really study what was going on. Read Second Kings chapter 17 and read, read Hosea because it is really, really packed full of information. But I'm digressing here because we've got another interview to get to, at least the second half. We've got to roll up our sleeves and we've got to dive deep and get back into the truth with Jim Burnham. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! This school when I sit, even just a little bit, I get hit with the power that made the veil in the temple split. When I submit, fall on the floor and the door. Can't get enough, got to come back for some more Hey, we've got a problem here 
can benefit in the school. Get in the commit. rises up in adoration of the throne. Something happens to my wounded heart from all the love revealed and shown. Bright like Shakina comes to my head to persist. The change and sustain the way I think it exists. To feel the bliss because my name is in the book of life's list. That's what happens when you sit in the school of the Eucharist. Mr. Hammett, take her down. Make your depth 150 feet. 10 degree down bubble. 150 feet, 10 degree down bubble. Aye, sir. Dive, dive, dive. You know, uh, uh, get a few compass points based on where you are mm. before you start launching. I think some people just they la just launch off into a, an investigation of all the world religions without really uh, appreciating or investigating their own tradition, their own faith tradition right. first. <laughs> That's exactly the prayer that I prayed when... You see, I, I had to let go and let God experience. I've shared this many times in this podcast, but I, I, I one day got on my knees and, and I had to give it all over to God because of the circumstances I was under. And in that moment, God gave me uh, almost a mystical experience in that he revealed certain things to me that I didn't know the second before. And one was an insatiable hunger and thirst for knowledge of God. But I realized in that that I had no clue about God. And so I was just just hungry. I couldn't get enough. I, I wanted to read my Bible for the first time. I wanted to, I was listening to Protestant radio and listened to all these pastors and I was just really hungry. And then I, I, as I was going through this process, we were Catholic at the time, but it was cafeteria Catholicism. We were being right. led out of the church by our good Baptist friends and my Protestant father and, and all these, these external forces were just, you know, having their way with us and it was really a difficult time. And then I got to the point where I felt like I couldn't trust the, not even the, the, the Bible. I couldn't trust what I was reading. I didn't understand it. It, it didn't speak to me and I needed to find the truth. And then I was praying that same prayer, what you just mentioned. I, I said, God, I'll go wherever you want me to go. If it's to Salt Lake City, I'll go. If it's to Buddha or Muhammad or who, it doesn't matter. I will go. Just lead me to that truth. And then, you know, I felt him lead me on a path to to discover that truth and and he really led me to the early church fathers he led me to this witness from this first century on and and i he made a qualifier because i had heard some protestant pastors say how the catholic church was corrupted by constantine in in the 300s so I put a qualifier. I would study anything from Christ's day to the 300s, and whatever that was, I would use as my model for finding the true church. And it led me into the Catholic church. It was just, but you know, it was funny. Was Even though I prayed that prayer, lead me to the church, it never dawned on me that the Catholic church could be that church. Right. You know, but my, my wife is a convert, <laughs> and, and she said the last place she expected to find the truth, she also was a seeker of truth, she said, the last place I expected to find it was in the Catholic Church. Right. She grew up a Lutheran, and then she went into Eastern mysticism, and, and, and you know, she, she was following the Dalai Lama and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and she was looking at all these exotic places and all these exotic religions, not even suspecting, not even, even you know, having the slightest hint right. that, that, that the fullness of the truth could have been found in that dull, old, 2,000-year-old... <laughs> Uh, Catholic Church, with right. all of its boring rituals and boring masses and boring priests, right. and, and she says it was just it was so humbling to kind of leave the exotic world and 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 come back and 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 you know the the very humble world of of uh, you know workaday Catholics and and but but she did that's how, I mean her love for the truth was such that when she realized 
that it wasn't something, you know, up on a mountain and, and following some, you know, mystical guru, that it was, you know, it was, it was right there in the, right. in the, in the Catholic church right across the street, you know, the, the mundane right. uh, Catholic experience that, that she had said, well, that can't, it's too ordinary, that's too dull, that couldn't possibly be what, uh, what God wants for me. And, and, then the, and it was. And the truth is, it's everything but ordinary. It's everything right, but dull. It's more glorious than I had ever imagined. Only I didn't have the eyes of faith to see it before. And well, it's like the inca- it's the incarnational principle. I and mean, if you right. had looked at Christ um, without the eyes of faith, you would have seen an ordinary dude, an ordinary Jewish carpenter, right. dusty from his walking around the, the dusty streets of Galilee. Um, and and he, his ordinariness would have really been off-putting, I think. And it took it took something special to see that underneath the ordinariness. Or in addition to the ordinariness, was something extraordinary. Mm. And once you could see past his humanity, you could catch a glimpse of his divinity. Mm. And that's how the church is. The church has both that human element of you and me, Joe, uh, you know, ordinary hypocrites and sinners. And yet, beyond that, beyond that, that human shell is is this divine truth and divine grace and divine witness and divine power. Wow. And that's the mystery, the mystery of the incarnation of Christ and the mystery of the incarnation of his church, which continues that incarnational mystery till the end of time. So when, when did you know that you were going to do this, this was going to be your career? It, 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 it must have evolved from just a, a, an inspiration to share your faith to this is what you're called to do. Yeah, well, in, in, the, in, the, in the process of, of, of joining uh, Father Chacon in those classes, those early apologetics classes, and, and people really, really, and you mentioned the hunger. Um, we have sold lots and lots and lots of these booklets. Uh, and as you say, they've gone all over the world. They're in you know, every little uh, crook and, 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 and nook and cranny. But the, it, 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 that's not because I'm a genius or Father Chacon is a genius. Well, Father Chacon may be a genius. It's not because the books are the, are the finest, you know, most well-written uh, books in the world. I mean, I think they're simple. I think they're clear. Uh, I think they give people the the basics of the faith in a, in a succinct way. Mm. But I think what really makes, made these books succeed is the hunger. Mm. People were hungry to, to know more about their faith. They were hungry to be able to have answers to the inevitable questions. They were hungry um, to, to, to not stand there like, like a deer in headlights right. every time someone came to them with a challenge or an objection or a question. And, and they, were, they were ready, I think, after a couple generations of, Inadequate catechesis. Right. I'm not pointing any fingers or casting any blame, <laughs> but but really, uh, I was inadequately catechized. I went through all of the, you know, all the motions and all the twelve years of CCD, but I was inadequately catechized um, to 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 be a a a witness for the faith. Right. I was inadequately prepared to go door to door and sell, as it were, right. the, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I wasn't prepared well. And I think people are recognizing they, they mm. have a need, they have a felt need, yeah. whether it's someone that they know asking them questions, whether it's a family member pestering them to uh, come and join their evangelical brand of, of uh, Christianity. Um, you know, they, they've got, they, they're ready now. They're ready to hear the, the, the truth of the faith. They're ready, to, they're ready for answers. They're ready to delve more deeply May have been years past, you could just trust the priest to know all the answers, and all you had to do was show up. But they recognize now that's not enough, and they're ready now. They're ready to, to, to study a little more, to break open their Bibles, to become conversant 
with the scriptures. Mm. Uh, and, 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 and that's what these books speak to. That's the hunger. And I think the great reception these books have enjoyed is a testament not to the genius of the authors, <laughs> but to the great hunger that people have for knowing more about their faith and, and, and beginning to roll up their sleeves and engage in the new evangelization that is all around us. And, you know, the simplest tools are the more effective tools, really. I mean, I enjoy reading. I can't read enough. There's usually not enough time for me to read all that I want to read. But when it comes down to it, you know, I have that uh, that list, that list that you put together, that laminated list of just Bible verses. Oh, yeah. yeah. one of the, That's one of the most pop, that's the most popular thing that we produce. It's a, it's a list of... Uh, about 500 Bible right. verses uh, explaining about 50 Catholic doctrines. And, uh, and I, I made that list just because uh, I wanted to have something in my Bible as a quick reference. I don't right. have a photographic memory. <laughs> and that little list, that little list of, of, of verses that support our Catholic beliefs, that has, that has been so helpful for so many people, myself included. Right. Because I get questions about purgatory or the Eucharist or something, and, and it's just like, wait, wait, oh, God, you know, all I have to do is, is crack that open, and, uh, and, and I've got some verses at my fingertips where, where you know, I can begin to walk somebody through the Catholic position on, on purgatory, for example, or some other doctrine. And a tool like that will just go a long way for the average layperson, and, and that's why these things are, are so effective. But talk, let's talk about your work with Steve Wood and, and what you're doing with him. Now, you co-authored a book with Steve? Yeah, he was. Uh, I met him at an apologetic seminar. One of the first things we did when we were first getting started uh, in addition to uh, writing our, our own booklets, we began to bring in uh, world-class apologists like Steve Wood and uh, Patrick Madrid and, and other guys uh, to help strengthen the, the faith of our local Catholics. And I, I met uh, Steve at, uh, at one of these conferences, and my father had just died. And, uh, but all anybody could talk about when, when they were at this conference and, you know, was, was, was my father, my father, my father. And, I mean, he'd been dead for about a year at that point. Mm. And uh, so Steve came to me. Steve is very sensitive to family issues, and he has a, uh, a tremendous understanding of how important fathers are to helping to pass the faith along. When, when a father practices the faith, um, it's, it's immeasurably more effective in a family you know, for passing the faith on to the children than, than when the mother tries to do it all by herself. Right. And so because of all these stories he was hearing about my dad, he sought me out and he said, tell me about your dad. And I told him a few things, and... And he said, uh, would you be willing to write up, um, you know, just a kind of a story about your dad? And, uh, you know, um, and, and so I wrote a few things that, that my dad had done as kind of a tribute to my father. And, and um, it was, uh, he, he put it in one of his newsletters, and it wow. was, people loved it. They loved it. In fact, it, it's, it's, uh, it's in the appendix to the Christian Fatherhood book. It's called <laughs> A Tribute to My Father. And, uh, it's one of the most popular things that, uh, that I've, I've done with Steve. And basically, it's a portrait of an ordinary, everyday Catholic man who did the ordinary, everyday things to, to really create something extraordinary, and that is you know, an intact, uh, vibrant Catholic family. Mm. You know, he, just, he put God first, and, and he was faithful to his wife, and he prayed, and he led us in prayer, mm. and, and he was just diligent in all of the little responsibilities, you know, that, that, that fathers have. And, and so, you know, Steve, you know, he, uh, I don't know what he saw in me, but he saw some, I guess maybe some, some hint, you know, mm. of what my father had tried to, 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 to be. He saw in me kind of a, a remnant of, of the legacy that he had imprinted upon his family. And so 
he invited me to join him in his in his new ministry, launching the Family Life Center, um, to help strengthen faith and and families. Wow. And 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 of course, my love for apologetics dovetailed very nicely with not only his love for apologetics, but also a love for strengthening families. Because mm-hmm. one great way to strengthen the family is to is to strengthen their faith. You know, as you saw in your own experience, my own experience. The more you you learn about your faith, the the, the more alive and real and and infectious and, and and you know it becomes, and and when that infection starts to spread throughout the family, you know it draws it together and you begin to have a deep and and, and powerful uh, unity in the family. And so anyway, uh, Steve was gracious enough to invite me to co-author the book Christian Fatherhood along with him. Wow. Uh, more on the strength that I had I not that I was a great father by any stretch of the imagination, but I had I had experienced a great father. Mm-hmm. I, I had the memory of a great father, and, and I could draw upon his heritage and legacy in kind of trying to draw out the biblical principles um, for how to, you know, how to pass the faith along intact, how to, how to, how to be a good father, because it, it doesn't change. You know, the, the, the ingredients for being an effective and strong father have been the same since the beginning of time. And so Steve really helped out, kind of isolate those those factors and and to encourage um, Catholics and and non-Catholics alike to to embrace the biblical principles for uh, strengthening your family as, as a father. And we absolutely need a lot more of that. I mean, the, we can get lots of apologetics now in, in our faith. There's just an an unfathomable amount of apologetic materials that are available to us, even theological materials that are available to us. That's just great material, but there needs to be more training men how to be good dads, how to be good husbands, how to just be good men in society. And uh, that's something I personally really need. You know, I need to, to, to be taught from good fathers, good husbands, what it means to be a good dad and a good husband, and so we need more of that. So I, I want to encourage that. And fa- as a matter of fact, me and some of the other men in my men's prayer group are putting on a men's Catholic conference in, in Houston as a result of that. You know, we want to build men up to become, you know, the leaders, providers, warriors, protectors, the men that God called them to be. And more than anything, we want to encourage them to to not think of, well, tomorrow i got to wake up and be perfect dad. No, tomorrow i got to wake up and try to be dad. Right. As Mother Teresa said, God doesn't call us to be successful. Right. God calls us to be faithful. And if we are faithful in our day-to-day duties, uh, God will bring success through those efforts. He will grace those efforts uh, with His grace. And, you know, you know we, we talk about as Catholics how, how grace builds on nature. Grace builds on nature. So you take the natural virtues that a man has, his natural desire to defend and protect and guard and provide... And and you 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 know build that in you you know you build that into a, a, a walk of faith. And one thing I love about apologetics is that apologetics is one of those wonderful things that really speaks to men. Mm. It is one of those especially martial kinds of activities. Not that women can't be and aren't great apologists. Women right. can be fantastic apologists. But there's really something inspiring to men about the about the effort of apologetics, the idea of defending the truth, the idea of using reason and logic and sound argumentation, uh, not quarreling, you know, but charitable sound arguments and reason and logic to defend 
the, the true Church of Jesus Christ. Right. That is something that men can really be strong at. Hmm. Men may be weak in certain areas. Maybe we're not the best singers. <laughs> I know I'm not. Maybe we struggle at the prayer groups. Right. I know that I do. You know, maybe it's tough for me to read a big, thick, fat book, uh, which is why we've made our apologetics books really thin and accessible. In fact, right. one, of the great, one of the great compliments I ever received about our booklet series was from a woman. She says, your booklets are so simple, even my husband can read it. <laughs> so that's the, I think that's, one of the, that's the ultimate endorsement. Right. Even a man whose attention span sometimes can't get through the sports page, right. even a man can get through these books. But the idea of standing up for the truth, defending Holy Mother Church, of marshalling logic and, and objective arguments, not in a subjective and emotional and, you know, I think women are stronger when it comes to emotion. Women are stronger when it comes to these subjective activities but objective activities that require you know, hard-headed logic and reason and, and, and proof and evidence, that's something that a man can get his mind around. Mm. The, the, the same man who's a, who may be a, a good lawyer or a good engineer or a good doctor, you know, someone who can diagnose the problems, that guy can be a great and effective apologist because he takes those same life skills mm. of, of reasoning and critical thinking and marshalling of evidence, and he applies them to his faith. Right. And so I think apologetics is one of the... It's not the only way, right. believe me. You know, it's not the only way to strengthen fathers, to strengthen families, but apologetics can be a profoundly uh, uh, inspiring way to really get men off the sidelines and into the game. Mm. Because once they start defending the truth and seeing how defensible and how easy it is to use the scripture and to use the early church fathers, as you mentioned, to use history to answer these objections that come up against the Catholic faith, then he's going to be much more inclined, you know, to start taking an active role in other areas of the right. faith, not just in, uh, in the explaining and defending of Catholic doctrine, but now maybe in explaining and defending of of the sacraments, and mm. and, and it just it just gets him in the game. Right. And once you get a guy in the game, and you get him off the sideline, you get him excited, and he knows the game plan. Right. Uh, then, then, man, you, you turn that guy loose, he's up and down the field. Yeah. And, you know, the th what people don't realize, and what I think a lot of men don't want to admit, is that they feel inadequate to the task. I know I did. When I went through that mystical experience, so to speak, what I realized was I was now, I knew I had to talk to God. I knew I should lead my family in prayer. But honestly, I was embarrassed. I didn't know what to say. And yeah, I where do I begin? How do I do yeah, this? You know? I didn't want to look inadequate in front of my wife and you know my kids. So you you tend not to do it. That's that. That's the the tack that the devil puts on us, man. That he he's he's hitting us at that ego level. And too many men are not getting up and trying instead of just right. trying. And that's the I think to to your point about apologetics, is apologetics can also build confidence. You know, the more you, the more you Absolutely. study, the more you know, the more confident you are to speak, the, the more confident you are to pray in and lead your family in prayer and be the, the the guy who takes his family to mass every Sunday. And and that's why it's a critical part in the life of men in, in particular. And this is something I think we don't see, in my opinion, anyway, enough of in uh, in uh, Catholic circles. We need to encourage men to overcome this issue of of being uh, feeling inadequate to the task. Because I think a lot of guys feel the same way I did and just don't don't want to uh, admit you're it. You're absolutely right. You're one of my favorite quotes is by G.K. Chesterton. 
and if, I wanted it emblazoned on a wall in my home. But he said, if a thing is worth doing, it is worth doing badly. <laughs> now, we often hear that the other way. If a thing's worth doing, it's worth doing well. Right. But G.K. Chesterton's point was, if a thing is worth doing, really worth doing, it's worth doing even if you're not the best at it. Right. Even if you make mistakes at it. Even if you stumble and you fall a little bit. And that's what's going to happen in apologetics. You're going to stand up to try to answer one of your friend's questions, and you're going to get a little tongue-tied, and you're, you're going to forget your verses, and you're, you're going to hem, and you're going to haw, and you might even lose your temper. But that shouldn't stop you from trying again. And as you said, once you begin to try a little bit and try a little bit more, you begin to start having a little more success. Mm. All of a sudden you start, you know, your, 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 you know, your mouth starts to work and your, and your brain starts <laughs> to work and, and you start to put together some coherent, cogent arguments. And yeah, they might not have the, the effect that you want, but all of a sudden you are not sounding like a doofus. <laughs> you're sounding like a guy, right. a Catholic who really knows his faith. Right. And that is so liberating. I remember... Jesus said, the truth will set you free. And I remember when in, my, in my discovery of the faith, I remember that was so profoundly true. The truth mm. began to set me free. The more I discovered about my faith, I was set free from fear, mm. fear of failing, right. fear of looking like a doofus. <laughs> I was set free from the, you know, the, uh, the, the, the tyranny of public opinion. I right. didn't care what people thought about me. I knew what I had was true, and I knew I could explain it, maybe not perfectly. No, but it didn't matter. I didn't have to be perfect. I just had to kind of put my hand up and say, hey, I'm a Catholic, right. and, and I, I might have some Catholic answers, and I tell you what, people will seek you out. And in that process of dialoguing, you will become a better and more effective communicator, not only with people that you don't know, but now with people that you do know, right. your family, your friends, your grandkids. And then, then it begins. Then the transformation of families begins. Then the transformation of the culture begins. Right. And then we begin to see the springtime of evangelization that a Holy Father begged for. And that's why I call myself the Catholic hack, because I'm just a hack trying to do his part. And I don't have to be a scholar. You know, I study a little bit every day, and you know, I'll learn something new every day, but we don't wait until we've got it all figured out before we get started. And, and I think that's what I always like to try to encourage men to do is you start today. You know, don't, don't wait until – I think Fulton Sheen said that too. You can't wait until you've got it all figured out. You just get started today and let God lead the way. And so that's, that's kind of what we do here on this podcast, which is what we need to encourage men to do, I think, all the time. And we need more of it. So I want to thank you for um, – for working with Steve on that. That's a critical ministry in our faith journey, and we really need more of it. So, so don't give up on that. Don't quit and keep going on that no matter what. Well, let's wrap it up, Jim. Let's talk about what you're currently working on, where you're going to go down the road, and maybe you can inspire us with some words of wisdom. Well, I, uh, we just finished a great project I'm very excited about. Um, we now have nine different books in our Beginning Apologetics series, Praise covering God. everything from the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist to Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and atheists, uh, Mary, the reading the Bible, the end times. We just finished our latest project is on how to answer Muslims. Wow. And I'm really excited about this because I think a lot of people are very justifiably concerned mm. about the growing threat that Islam is posing right. uh, both in the world and, and in, in this country. And I think people are thinking you know, hey, we need to learn a little more about these guys and be able to enter into charitable dialogue with our Muslim brothers and sisters. They are not going away. Uh, and, and, um, and so the questions and the challenges posed by 
the Islamic faith is not going away. Mm. And so we put together a short little booklet, just like the other booklets in our series, giving a history of Islam, a history of Muhammad, and a brief uh, comparison between uh, Islamic beliefs and, and Catholic beliefs, and showing how uh, there really are some, some logical uh, discrepancies, there's some, there's some historical uh, problems in, mm. in, in many things that, that uh, the Muslims believe. And we show you how to charitably show them the difference between you know, the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and the, uh, the gospel proclaimed by Muhammad. And it's a profound difference, and, and I think one that when you approach it carefully and, and historically, you can see that um, there's really no comparison. That's so really, we're very happy about that, and yeah. very you know, a lot of people are, are excited about that. That's really great, too, because I, I now work for a Catholic ministry who owns two bookstores, fantastic bookstores. And most of the Catholic bookstores I've ever been into have been really wonderful material, but you hardly see any resources for, you know, what does the Muslim believe versus what I believe, and what are those differences, and how do I respond to one if if I should encounter one? You just don't see that. Yeah, like your friend the atheist, you know? Yeah, he caught you flat-footed because you were unprepared to talk yeah. to an atheist about evolution. Exactly. Uh, and, and likewise, I think a lot of us, if we, if, we, if we talk to a Muslim, you know, tomorrow, we'd be caught flat-footed. We wouldn't know what to say. We wouldn't know where to begin. We wouldn't know the things about which we agree and the things about which we disagree. Right. So that's that's really wonderful. What are you uh, spending a lot of time on the road these days? I know I hear you on Catholic Answers all the time, so you must be uh, very busy these days. I am. I, uh, I get out a couple times a month. Uh, let's see. I'll be going uh, to Texas Tech in March. I've got uh, Port Charlotte conference in April and another uh, conference in Chicago in April. So I'm staying busy with uh, with conferences. I'm staying busy with Catholic Answers on the radio. I'm staying busy with my family. Uh, but you're right. I, I just, we're, this is a great time to be alive. This is a great time to, to be Catholic. This is a great time to start to learn about your faith. And, and as you said, it doesn't matter how little you know right now, tomorrow, today, right now, you can begin to learn more. And, right. and just pick up. There's, there's no shortage of materials. Uh, Joe, I'm sure you've got tons of resources on your website. Uh, Catholic Answers has a great website, Catholic.com. We've got a website, Catholic Apologetics. Dot com, go out there and just start to take you know take any kind of resource at all. Just start to learn about your faith. Start to to learn uh, how to answer questions about your faith. And I I almost guarantee you this: if you approach this with the right attitude, uh, you will transform your own walk with Christ, and you will begin to transform your family. Uh, and, and I I just I really want to encourage men to take that challenge. Start to learn your faith. It will transform you as it transformed me. It will set you on fire. It will unlock the graces of your confirmation so that you, too, are a burning apostle of the gospel of Christ. Praise God. Well, Jim, I thank you so much for the time that you've given me tonight. I really do appreciate that. I want to ask you to to please keep the listeners of this podcast in your prayers. I have been blessed and privileged to speak to many different listeners across the world, literally, and I... And they've shared with me some very, you know, intimate details of the struggles and the faith walk that they've they've been on. So, I really would appreciate if you pray for them when you when you do, and and keep them in mind because because you do inspire them by your witness and the work that you do. So please keep it up. We're praying for you, and we'd like you to pray for us. I'll, I'll definitely do it, Joe. I'll pray for you and all your all your good listeners, and, and I ask that they'll pray for me. Let's keep each other in prayer that that all of us uh, will survive the 
you know, all these temptations around us and that we'll meet again one day in the glorious uh, and triumphant family reunion that is heaven. Praise God. God bless. Well, there you have it. Jim Burnham from CatholicApologetics.com. Do me a favor, reach out to Jim and let him know how much you appreciate him being a guest here on the Catholic Hack Podcast. It's a great pleasure of mine to be able to bring to you some of the some of the best Catholic apologists, some of the best Catholic authors, speakers, etc. to you here in our Catholic, beautiful Catholic world. And it is a great honor of mine, and I cannot wait to continue to reach out to some of these, these great Catholic minds and, and get them onto the podcast. So stick around and see what's coming up your way here this year. Tarek Saab is headed your way next. I, like I said before, we we did a, a fantastic two-hour interview. We went into detail about his new book, Gut Check, which I'm very excited to share with you. As I said before, I read it and I really, really enjoyed it. And I promise you, I think you will too. So stick around for that. I want you to stop by the blog, www.catholichack.com, where there you can see some of the information that we've shared here, links the bios, the pictures, you can uh, get to the the websites of the people who who are guests on this podcast, you can pick up a Catholic Hack t-shirt and mug, which is a fantastic way for you to both evangelize and support this podcast. You can also stop by the Catholic Hack bookstore at www.catholiccompany.com forward slash Catholic Hack. If you're in the market for Catholic materials, why not support this podcast? Your hard-earned money will go to a Catholic-owned company and a Catholic podcast. So thank you very much for your support. Your support on iTunes has been greatly appreciated. You're doing fantastic work by getting this podcast further and further up in the rankings. So thank you. Stop by iTunes and leave me a review. Until next time, I pray that God richly bless you. SQPN. The best in Catholic podcasting.